Second Samuel chapter 7. This is the central message in this entire series. This is where God promises David everything. I hope um, that you get from this, that you see in this, what I see God offering to David here. This, this one's wonderful. Okay, so a promise is going to be made to a king. Um, David had a life that was just constant change, constant motion, right? So he was a, uh, a shepherd, just a shepherd boy. One day in particular, he started his day doing his job, watching his father's sheep. And by the end of that day, he had been anointed the king of all Israel, the future king. Um, another day, he's just bringing supplies to the front lines to his brothers, cheese and things like that. And, and by the end of that day, he's the hero of Israel who had slain Goliath. Most of the days after that, he spends running away from the king who should have been protecting him, who should have been like a father to him. But he runs around and, 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 and dodges this, this king until one day the Lord takes this king out of the picture. After years on the run, God finally makes David king over all of Israel, all of God's people. By God's power, he takes the fortress city of Jerusalem, um, and, and, and by the blessing and, and just gift of God, a king from another country sends craftsmen and materials to build David a mighty palace of stone and cedar. And it would have been an exceedingly beautiful palace that God gave to uh, the king during that time. David had brought about the events that brought the ark of God to Jerusalem but it rested in a tent. Now, technically, David says tent curtains, um, so it wouldn't have been the tabernacle the way that, that, that it had been in the old days. This was just a, a tent that was over the ark of God. So David desires to build this house for God. That's what this passage begins with. David desires to build a house for the ark of God. And this is a good plan. It's a good plan. But it's not God's plan. It's not what God has for David. And David receives a word from God instead. Now, in this passage, we're going to see the promise that God makes to David. And it is a promise that, well, I hope it sets your imaginations on fire when you read what David said. This passage uh, that we read today should set your imagination on fire as we explore God's promise to David and what it truly means. What is, the, what is contained in this promise? Is this a promise that David will be a king and his son will be a king after him, or is it so much more? I believe that it is so much more. When God reveals his plan... You know, it's, it may be, it probably will be, it almost definitely will be different than ours. But the only right response is worship and obedience. When God speaks to David, David immediately goes to his quiet place. He sits down and it begins to worship God. That is the appropriate response. I want to I share this with you. Um, it's it's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 29. And... Um, you know, the thing is, is as, as I've been going through this study of David, there's times where I feel like David is a, is a, is a friend. He's a, he's a man that's going through things, and you watch him go through those things, and you're like, wow, I, 
I feel for you. You're going through something tough. And there's times where David, what David views as important and, and, and powerful, you're like, yes, I agree with you. Like I, I join my heart with you. And when David humbles himself and prays in, in this passage, it is, it is powerful. And so I just want you to see this with me. So first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 29. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince, over my people. And I have been with you wherever you have went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. For from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, from the time that I have appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. I want you all to hear how David responds. David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also to your servant's house, or of your servant's house, for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. 
And what more can David say to you? For your, for, for you know your servant, O Lord God, because your promise and according to your own word, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Israel, from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you O oh Lord, became their God. And now, O oh Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O oh Lord of hosts, the Lord God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, before, or now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now, my temptation is to skip to the end because there's, there's really, really good stuff. But we've got to look at what's going on here. We've got to look at what's happening, how David gets to the place that he is at. Um, so the first thing is that David hopes to build uh, the Lord's house. He wants to build the temple ultimately. He, that's not what he's calling it yet. That's not what he's saying, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to build the temple. So this passage likely takes place after the events of 2 Samuel chapter 8 and chapter 10. Both of those chapters record big victories that David has where he's defeating his enemies. And so probably chapter 7 is set, even though it comes before, it's probably it happens afterwards. Um, so David has peace on all sides, which is incredibly rare anywhere, but it's certainly rare in Israel. And it's even rare in David's reign that he has peace. Like there's, there's not enemies attacking him right now. So he has peace on all sides and his mind immediately goes to the ark of the Lord, which sits in a humble tent. He looks around at what God has given him and says, I need to give God something. I need to build God a house. Now tell me what's wrong with that thought. Tell me, tell me what is, is bad about what David wants to do. It's not bad. It's not wrong. But he is careful. David is careful. So David seeks out the advice of the prophet of God, Nathan, whom we will learn more about. But he seeks the advice of the prophet of God, Nathan. And Nathan tells him, follow your mind because the Lord is with you. Apparently, Nathan had not checked with God or either God planned to reveal something a little bit later because it says that very night Nathan uh, went to bed or that very night God revealed his plan, which is a different plan to Nathan. Now, most kings of the ancient world built these elaborate temples for their gods and they hoped that it would bring prosperity, that it would bring peace, that it would bring success in their kingdom. That's what, that's what, that's what the kings had hoped. And so maybe that's the reason that 
that David was wanting to do this, but it may have been a much more spiritual reason, and that's kind of what I think, um, is that David wanted um, the, the ark to have a, a resting place um, that was lasting and beautiful. That's what I think David wanted. Um, and, and again, this is a good thing, but it's just not God's timing for this. You know, we must understand that when we are seeking God's will, He may tell us yes, He may tell us no, and He may tell us not yet. But here's the really interesting thing about what God says to David. God says to David, yes, but not to you. Okay, so it's not David that gets to build the temple, it's Solomon. And so what God tells, the answer that God gives to David is, it's not no, uh, but it's not even not yet. So he doesn't say, David, you'll get to do this later. It's not time. No, he tells David, you won't ever do this. Your son will do it. Now, there's a lot of people that would have been very disappointed. They would have been rejected or felt dejected because God had said, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be somebody else. But that's not the way David goes. And again, I want to skip to the end, but I'm not going to. Um, always, um, when God answers our prayers... When God begins to speak to us, we've got to be humble enough to know that His answer is probably not going to line up with what we want. We've got to be humble so that we don't go against His plan. So what happens here is that David uh, hears, he's going to hear, this is God revealing it right now, he's going to hear that what he wants to do, God's not going to let him do. But he's going to get to do something different. So we must worship God. When he speaks to us, we must obey him when he gives us a command. We're going to see that David actually does this. That's how we must respond. When God answers our prayers, when God speaks to us, we've got to worship him. Now, is God talking audibly to us today? Probably not that often, but he is speaking to us. And I promise you, if you get yourself alone with this book and you read God will speak to you. And when he does, worship him. Worship him. You might say, well, I can't sing. You don't have to sing. When your heart humbles itself and acknowledges his word and you glorify him in your heart and in your life, you are worshiping God. That's what David did, and that's what we must do as well. So that night the Lord does come to Nathan. He tells David that or he tells Nathan that David will not build the house. In fact, God actually asked a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Are you the one to build me a house? Um, this was a great honor, and David was kind of assuming it for himself, but he was asking the advice of Nathan. And so God says no. Um, by our own standards, like the eye test, David, even with everything that we might know about David's life, David's more worthy or at least as worthy, if not more worthy, to build this temple than any of the kings that come after him. Certainly more worthy than Saul to have built it. And, and, and when we think about the story of Solomon, and, and we'll get to that, then, then I think that David might have been more worthy by our standards. But we have to understand that it's God's plan. This may be a difficult truth for us to hear, but God uses each of us differently. So you might look around and see the way God is using one person and say, man, I want, I want to do that for the Lord. Or you might look and you may say, I want to do that for the Lord. I, I want God to use me in the way that God uses this other person that I'm looking at, but he'll never do that. He uses each of us differently. But what I do promise you is that if you get in line with what God wants to use you for, you will have joy unspeakable. You will have something to celebrate for the rest of your life because God will do that. 
God will put that in you. David was a wonderful king. Up to this point, he's got a sparkling record. He has followed after God. He has done everything that he was supposed to do. Even to this day, he's considered the greatest king that Israel ever had. And, and I think he stacks up pretty well against kings that other countries have had as well. But God didn't choose him for the task of building the temple. God chose him to unite the tribes. God chose him to be the king. God chose him to fight Goliath. God chose him to do a number of things, but God did not choose him to build the temple. And I think that's important for us to recognize that, that even though David was a good servant of God, even though David was a man after God's own heart, there were things that God withheld from David that he would give to a future generation. And also let me say this. This is not so much a hard truth to hear, but it, but it definitely might sting a little. If God only chose the people that were worthy, he would not choose very many of us at all. So was David worthy to build the temple? Not by God's standards, by ours, sure, probably so. But God didn't just choose the worthy. God chose the one. And we have to recognize that, that even if God doesn't choose you to do what you might want to do, he's going to choose you to do something, and you are the one to do that. You are the one to do what God is calling you to do. So this morning, I hope that you are willing to serve the Lord. So my one word to you is do what he commands you to do, not what you want to do. We've got to find God's will. We've got to find God's work and do that. Look at this next part. This is the part where God actually speaks of the, the promise, of the covenant that he's going to make with David. So God will build David's house first. Remember, David wanted to build God a house, but God says, I'm going to build your house first. So David wanted to establish the house of God, or God's house, but God's plan was to establish David's house first. Here's the thing. If we go to God and we ask him for something, God, I want to do this. God, give me this. God, this is what I need in my life. And God says no. It's not no because he's withholding a good thing for you. It's no because he's probably got something better. He has his plan in mind. And that's what was true for David. Instead of building a temple, God was going to build his house. He was going to establish his house forever. This covenant that God establishes with David is not just a political promise of rulership. Please understand that this is not just about one king after another king after another king for all time. In fact, if this is just about one king from the line of David always being on the throne of Israel, then it's a broken promise because that wasn't true. There was a time even before Jesus was born that there was not a king descended from David on the throne of Israel. So this is not just a political promise that there will always be a descendant of David on the, on the throne of Israel. That's not what this is about. This is about so much more. What God is promising David is so much more. In these words, we see that God is promising to establish the house of David into an eternal line of kings, a perpetual line of kings, not political, but in a different way entirely. God had brought David from the sheep of his pasture to the throne room, and now he was going to build a place for his people forever. There is a, there is a, this is talking about David and Israel, but this is also talking about Jesus. And this is also talking about how Jesus would be descended from David, and that throne, and that kingdom, and that people would be established forever. One thing that we have to recognize with everything that we see and everything that is God's work, God is the builder. It's never truly us. In any good thing that happened, God is the builder. You look around at this church, God built this church. 
You look around at everything that is good, everything that God has established in this world, God built it, not man. The things that we build crumble and fall. The things that we build have problems. The things that we build will never succeed. But the things that God builds, those things last. God didn't say, I will establish you a temporary kingdom. I will establish you a kingdom that lasts for one generation and then it will split. I will establish for you a kingdom that will last for a few hundred years and the Assyrians and the Babylonians will tear it down. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I will establish you a kingdom that will be defeated by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, 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 the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. He didn't say that. God said, I will establish a kingdom that will last forever. Did God know about all these other kingdoms that would come along and take over Israel? Did God know what the Germans would do in, 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 our, well, in some of our lifetimes? Did God know? Yes, God knew that. But that doesn't invalidate this promise. This is an eternal promise that God is making to David and to his household. And when God built that house, it has never fallen. He promises to give Israel a place uh, where they can rest from their enemies. Um, he promises to correct their sins. He promises to offer them loving kindness. And he promises to give them a king forever. When you search these words that, that, that God said. So the things that, from the point that, that Nathan begins listening to David, or listening to God, and, and, and to the time that it's time for David to begin praying, what you don't see, you don't see any demands placed on David. You don't see if you will follow my word, if you will remember my law, if you'll be obedient. You don't see that here, because this promise is not dependent upon David's obedience. David is going to make some pretty big mistakes in the very, very near future of our study. And those are going to be costly. It's going to take things from him. It's going to change the way his life operates forever. But here, this promise is not contingent upon what David does. Because this promise is not about David only. It's not about his family only. This promise ultimately is about the eternal King Jesus. And there's nothing that can take that away. There's nothing that can change that. I want to tell you that God is building in this passage. God is giving and God is establishing. God is making Israel in this moment, but he is making more than Israel. He is making his promise of the gospel. So I want you to remember in your own life, God's central role in every part, then you'll begin to see God's hand at work in your life. So think about the way that your life is now. Look at what God has done. Search for the things that God has done. It's easy for us to find the things that we've done because we, we did something and there were consequences. But look at the things that God has done in your life. The, boil it down to that. Then you will see God's work. You will see His hand and you will know what He is doing. Now, we know that as the story goes in just a few short chapters, David will sin. And that sin's bad. It's, it's a really horrible sin. Now, we're going to take a couple of weeks to look at what happened and the fallout for it and, and everything that, that goes along with it. We know that David would sin, and it would break the heart of God. But no sin is so powerful as to break the Word of God. That's what we have here is the Word of God. David sinned. There were consequences. We sin. There are consequences. But our sin is not powerful enough to break the Word of God. If God says it will be so, it will be so. 
And here God said, there will be an everlasting king over an everlasting kingdom, and I will establish an everlasting people, and they will have peace, and they will have security, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God makes that promise, and in that promise, we see not just the, 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 the promise of a Davidic line, but we see the promise of a Savior. So in these words, we're not just seeing the earthly promises, but God is establishing an eternal kingdom uh, for his people with an eternal king. So David does serve as an example for what Jesus would be. He serves as an example of what Jesus would be like. Because think about it, when the people needed to be rescued from the giant, David came and did what they could not do. When the people needed to be rescued from the evil king Saul, well, David was waiting in the wings, and when Saul was gone, David became king, and he was a righteous king, and he was a good king. But understand that when we, we needed rescuing from our sin, Jesus was sent to save us from our sin. We still need to be rescued from ourselves, from, from the self-destructive nature of who we are, and Jesus still reigns in our lives. He is still the King and Lord of our lives. In ancient times, um, to be a member of the people of Israel, you would have had to have been born into Israel. There was no other entry point. There was no other way to get into Israel other than be born into Israel. But in these latter days, God has made another way. He has made another way for us to enter into that tribe and to receive these promises as well. We can receive the full blessings of this promise by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior and King. Jesus came to this earth to this would come that he would establish this kingdom. And so we have to realize this. We can try to justify ourselves with our works. We can say, if I do this good thing or if I do that good thing, then God will be pleased with me. But these works are not righteous before God. In fact, His standard is so high that only Jesus could attain that standard. And He has made it available to us, not through more works or through another list of things that we have to check off of a box, but He has made it available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at David, we see uh, a, a, a good king. We see somebody that is a, a, a great king. We see some. That's the difference. What David was, what the people of Israel looked and said, oh, David is that standard. David is that gold standard of what we want a king to be. What David wanted to be, what David aspired to be, is what Jesus truly is. He is all of those things. So David is an example of what Jesus would be, but there truly is no king like Jesus. And so this promise is not just about David and Solomon. This promise is not about a, a line of David's family. This promise is so much more. This points us to an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting king. And we know that Jesus took on that role. And Jesus is that person. And this promise is not just about ethnic Jewish people. It is about people of faith that follow Jesus Christ in faith. They are saved and we are a part of this kingdom as well. So what David is hearing here is a proclamation that from his line, and this is actually true, the genealogies of the New Testament show us that from his line would come that everlasting king, would come Jesus himself. The genealogies in the New Testament show us that Jesus did in fact descend from David. But what we realize is that Jesus was not a political king. He never wore a crown on this earth except one, and it was not a crown that anybody else would want to wear. What we have to see is that Jesus came to establish a different kind of kingdom entirely. David's prayer to me is so powerful and moving. 
David turns and he begins to praise the Lord. And you see that in verse 18. There's no other way to respond to the promises of God than what we see here, what David does. I want you to notice that he goes to his private place. He goes to his quiet place. He goes to that place where he knows that he can sit before the God, before God. And the first thing that he says is, Who am I, O Lord God? It's humility. He's emptying himself. Because if somebody else were to hear David say that, they would say, you're, you're the king of Israel. You're the slayer of Goliath. You have reputation. You have a great name. You have a great kingdom. You have a palace. You have armor. You have warriors at your command. You have chariots. You have horses. You have all these things. But when David looked at the word of God and the promises that God was making, he said, who am I? This is the only response that we can have. This is the only way that we can respond to God. His worship is deepened by the fact that God's making promises for generations to come. Let this deepen your worship as well. In that song that the choir sang, we sung it kind of quick, but we said, He knew well who I was, but He saw what I could be. When God saved you, He made an eternal promise to you that you would be His and that He would be yours and that you would spend eternity with Him. At that moment, He already knew everything that you would ever do. Every thought that would go through your head, every word that would proceed from your mouth, every action that would go out in your lives. And if you're like me, not every thought, not every word, not every action honors God. God knew that. And it's like we said just a few moments ago, there is no sin so powerful as to break the word of God. God promised forever. That's what he offers to anyone who believes in him. That set David's heart to worshiping. That is what triggered this prayer. That is what made him lift up his voice and give glory to God in this moment. So David knows that God will keep his word. And the reason he knows that God will keep his word is because it's for God's glory, not man's. If someone promises me, I will give you this thing or I will do this thing for you, and that's something that I need or something that I want, I hope that they keep their promise because it benefits me. But when God says, I promise you I will do this thing, we know that he will keep his promise because it is his word. If a man is, be, is made out to be a liar, that's nothing new. We all lie at some point or another, don't we? We all break our word at some point or another. But God has never been made out to be a liar. It is His glory. It is His name. It is His honor to be true to His word. And so David knew that the promises of God were as absolute and as certain as, they, as anything else because it is God who will fulfill them. Notice that, that, that David's not stuck on the fact that God won't let him build the temple. That doesn't even come up in his prayer. So God said, no, not you, somebody else down the line, not you. And David, he never even acknowledges that in his prayer. It, it, that's not the thing. He doesn't care now because he has a promise from God. He has a word from God and he worships God because of that. And so that's very important that when we recognize that God is leading us a different direction, we humble ourselves, we praise him, we get on board with what he's doing and we go forward. That's what we must do. David's heart is full to overflowing because of the bright promises of eternity that God has made to him. When someone says forever, it has to matter, right? It has to matter. I've been at places of work and something goes wrong. It might be somebody gets hurt. 
Uh, it might be that something falls through the cracks and doesn't get done, whatever. I've been at places at work where they've come up and they've said, now from now on, we're going to do this this way. From now on is a long, long time. And usually when they have those meetings and say, from now on, we're going to do it this way. Next week, from now on, we're going to do it a different way because it changes because mankind can't make up their mind. But what I will tell you is that when God says from now on, that means eternity. We don't even know what that means. Notice what David says. Now, I found this interesting. I didn't put it in my notes, but I find it interesting every time I read it. David says, you've made promises for a lot of generations ahead. No, David, that's not exactly what he did. He made promises forever, but David couldn't even comprehend what forever meant. And so that's not exactly how he worded it, but God made promises forever. And we have to recognize that when God says forever, that means something that we can't totally comprehend. We don't understand forever. We just know that, that means to the end of our life and then some. And for God, that just means it will never change. What he says, when he says forever, it will never change. You know what else he said? If you're a believer this morning, he said, you are my child. If you're a believer this morning, he says, you are mine. You will live with me forever. And all of that is on the strength of the work of Jesus Christ, which never fails. We are his. We belong to him because of that. And that, it didn't start here. God's already proclaimed the gospel before in the Old Testament. But this is a very important passage that tells us that God was establishing this kingdom and he was establishing it forever. You know, David, he wanted to build this house of stone and wood for the Lord, but God wanted to build him an everlasting throne, but not for David, for his own glory and for the salvation of not just David, but for all those who would believe in Jesus Christ. And I tell you that when David prayed this prayer, that that, that he prayed, there weren't choirs singing. There wasn't a band playing. There was no altar. There was no stage. There was no place in which, which people were all around and celebrating. But I assure you, this is worship. In its purest and most humble sense, David heard the Word of God. He got along with God, and he worshiped God. Because he knew that what God had planned for his life better than what he wanted for his own life. David has this moment of true worship when he realizes that God's vision for his life is better. What God wanted to do in his life was better than what he wanted to do for God. You know, I hope that each and every one of us reach the point in our lives that David was at in this passage. He wanted to do something extravagant for God. I hope that that burning fire to do something extravagant for God is in your life. Please understand that David wasn't talking about building a tent. David was talking about building a temple. And because of David's heart, what we can see, I assure you that what David would have built would have been better than what the king of Tyre had built for David. He would have built something amazing. But that wasn't what God wanted. David wanted to do something extravagant. And I hope that God... That in your heart and in your life, you're not sitting here thinking, well, I got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. I hope you're sitting here thinking, Lord, I want to do something amazing for you. That's where you need to be right now. Lord, I want to do something amazing for you. It's, it's time for us to be at that place where we want to do something amazing for God. But you know, when David learned that God's plan was different than his, 
He fell down and he worshiped God. And he submitted to that plan. He accepted that plan with all of his heart. The promises that God made to David were far greater than what David wanted to do for God. It exceeded generation after generation. This kingdom that God was going to establish uh, is the same kingdom that Jesus preached about when he was here on this earth. He said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the same kingdom that God was promising because he was that king. He is that king. You don't have to be born into the right family to be a part of this kingdom. This kingdom where God is making these lasting promises, peace, safety, security, loving kindness, a just and noble king. You don't have to be born into the right family anymore. If you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, He will make you a citizen of His eternal kingdom and a member of God's own family. That is what it takes. It's not for us to try to earn our way into heaven. It's certainly not for us to say, I'm from the right family. I've done all that I need to do. It's not even for us to say, well, I'm a member here or I've done this or I've done that. Just trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He will be your Savior, which means that He will make the path for forgiveness for your sins. But He will also be your Lord, which means that you will obey His will and you will obey His Word. And then He will bring you into His kingdom, and He will bring you into the family of God. When I read this passage, I see the Gospel. I see that David was like Jesus, but he was no king like Jesus. Only Jesus is the king of our hearts. And when He speaks, we worship and we obey. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this time to gather together. I thank You for everything that points us to You. What got this conversation started for David is that he wanted to do something great for you. And as I've heard all of my life, we can't outgive you. David wanted to give you a house that would last for generations. And you gave him a king forever. I pray that you remind us that just as, as real and moving as that was for David, it should be that real and moving for us. Because we live in lives of constant change too, Lord. We, if we pay attention to the news, it's always different and it's always seemingly from bad to worse. It seems like in this world, the throne is vacant. All I ask this morning, Lord, is that in the throne of our hearts, You reign. You have Your way. You rule. Be our Lord. Be our King. Be our Savior. I ask this in the name of the One that made it possible, Jesus Christ Himself. Amen.